Welcome to Generations of X, the podcast where we discuss the past, present, and future of all things X-Men. I'm your co-host, the uncanny Dayspring. And I'm your other co-host, the adjectiveless Blinkman. And folks, we have a very special mini episode for you today, and Flink is going to kick us off. Yeah, you know, we've talked about a lot of things uh, over the last couple months on this podcast. You know, we just did a marathon Marvel Legends best of 2020 discussion. Um, But something that we really haven't touched on over these these last couple weeks is, you know, our thoughts on the X-Men themselves, the characters and, and how they were treated and developed over over the last year and of course there was the the tennis swords crossover in there that ate up so much of our our screen time uh this year but um within that we still managed to have you know some some pretty great moments with with our favorite characters this year so i really just wanted to to get together with you however briefly to uh to discuss our feels on on how the mutants were were handled this year and talk about who our character of the years might be First of all, just two really quick things. One, our Marathon Marvel Legends discussion, which is live right now for you, listener. We were like, okay, we're going to sit down. We're going to do this 30, 50 minutes. We went on two hours. Hours. Two hours. We should have known. We should have known. And then this one, we're like, oh, we'll do a mini episode. And all I can think is this is going to be a regular size podcast episode. (laughs) We'll see how this goes. We'll see. We might might be recording a new intro and dropping the word mini-sode, but... But but I'm hoping I'm hoping we can we can deliver this to you as succinctly as possible. We shall see. Um, I know I have my feels. I've I've always got my feels. I live in my feels. But I was wondering uh, about you, Dayspring. Who is your character of the year this year? So my character of the year, I I really meditated on this, and yeah, it was tough. It was tough. And my knee-jerk reaction is to say characters like Doug Ramsey. Of course. Or Madeline Pryor. I'm but, honestly surprised it's not those. Well, you should be. Because I thought long and hard, what does character of the year really mean? Like last year, if you would have asked me who's the character of the year, I would have said Moira X. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. they had such a presence in the X books. They really carried a story. Something significant happened to them. So when thinking about this year... I'm going to give it to Apocalypse. Apocalypse? Oh, A. A himself. Okay. okay. I knew you were going to be shocked. I actually thought it was pretty. So listeners, we did not. I don't know who his character of the year is. And I did not tell him my character of the year in advance. And I want to be very clear on why Apocalypse is character of the year for me. I'm looking just, forward to this, actually. I'm, I'm happy to be surprised, and I'm happy that you picked somebody that I, that I think is pretty left field. But I, tell me, because I think I might agree. You can sell me on this. It's not left field when you think of Apocalypse this year. So we kicked off with The Crucible back mm-hmm. in February before the pandemic. And Apocalypse really, really shined in that. We had a little bit of a hiatus because of the pandemic and books weren't being shipped. And finally, when books started shipping, we got Ten of Swords. We jumped directly into Ten of Swords. And that was an apocalypse story. It was. 
It's, you know, we've talked about it in great detail on this podcast. We've discussed it with the X community. Our, our Twitter and our IG DMs are blowing up every time we post something about Ten of Swords because everyone has so many feels about it. For good me, or bad? Good or bad. For me, I wasn't, I wasn't in love with the apocalypse story we got with Genesis. For I, I've said this before. It's hard for me to digest that this character we've known for decades who is a Darwinist, all of a sudden has mystical ties, has been harboring a love from eons ago, and he has a whole set of children. And, you know, his his entire story is culminating with going back to Araco. However, that being said, my personal feelings aside, I feel Apocalypse really shined. Yeah. He is basically now the Thanos of the X-Men. They gave him great dialogue. You really felt for him, regardless of how you care for the story. He was motivated by wanting to see Genesis again, by wanting to unite the mutants. We got a little bit of backstory on why he's a Darwinist. It's not just that he's a crazy madman or whatever they said in the episode six of the animated series, Secure, whatever episode number that was, where it's like a madman driven completely insane by his powers. He's not some ancient mutant who just has these really radical ideologies. He actually learned this ideology from his wife and it's something that was internalized for him. And it was something that he was preparing the world for because it came from a place of caring. It made him a very great character. And I think the ending of Ten of Swords showed that he really cared about his fellow mutants. He wanted them to have a racco. He wanted them to have that land and he wanted mutants to survive. And that has always been his motivation, knowing that there was this first generation of mutants. So Apocalypse is my first choice. It, again, it wasn't my preferred story. He wasn't my favorite character. But looking at this objectively, looking at which character really had a story beginning, middle, and end who had great moments, it was Apocalypse. Yeah, I you know I was surprised by your choice, but when you lay it out like that, when you when you really go into detail about you know, because for, for me, like I. I Rewind. For me, I, I I agree with you. I agree that at first this Apocalypse the Great Magician story came out of like nowhere and I wasn't exactly on board with it. I don't think Excalibur has been the brightest spot uh, of the Dawn of X to say That's the least. Not- I was I was not in love with the Ten of Swords crossover on a whole. So, you know, objectively, you know, I wouldn't want to make him my character of of the year but when you look at the facts as you have laid them out i i have to agree with you i can i amend my choice is it too late i agree <laughs> apocalypse for all the reasons he just said well no, I, I i love what you said you really framed it for me when we were talking you said like oh now he's like this magician wizard character and even though i had kind of like already like surmised that the way you kind of articulated it, i was like yeah like that just felt like such a sharp turn and i know hickman was like oh we're not going to explore back histories on the characters we're in the present now and this is the 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 Ah. so fine but you know i it it took me a while to get there but you know again putting my personal feelings aside for excalibur and i love teeny howard yeah teeny howard's a great writer but excalibur for me it's just very hard to navigate putting all those personal feelings aside they laid a lot of groundwork for apocalypse 
they gave him the character arc, they gave him momentum, and they really humanized a character who for decades was just like, I now bid you adieu, and like jumps off into a helicopter. Yeah. Comes back as a nefarious, you know, evil monster who's terrorizing the X-Men. Apocalypse is very humanized this year while maintaining some level of threat, being kind of scary, being kind of shady and having his ulterior motives. What do you make of his relationship with Richter at this point? I really like that. I It's a journey with Richter that I'm excited to see play out. And in the recent issue of Excalibur, we obviously see that he's still harping on yeah. Apocalypse and his, and his ideologies that he imbued in him. So, you know, I think it gives Richter something to really do because he had a couple of years there where he was just wayward without his mutant powers. We were all watching his relationship with Shatterstar. So I'm glad we have that with, with, with him now. And, and the X-Men are all about these complicated relationships among each other. So I'm 100% down. At sidebar, I would have loved to have seen Chambers' relationship with Apocalypse because we, we obviously got that story a couple of years ago. So 100% down with Richter. Let's see where it plays out. Obviously, Apocalypse and those Araco mutants are going to come back. And we'll yeah, see. obviously, obviously, there's no doubt that that this is the end of of apocalypse in the Krakoa era. Absolutely not. And you know, I I sort of have to to agree with what you said regarding Richter. Is his relationship with Shatterstar is the only defining thing from the last 15 years of of X Men stories. So even if you know, like I've said, even if I didn't love Excalibur, and even if I I, I don't think that all of those ideas translated as, as well as they could have, giving Richter that 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 relationship, giving him some something new to do, turning him into a freaking druid or whatever he is at this point, I think I, I think is it's going to serve him him well to move him past this sort of Shatterstar's boyfriend box that he's been put in because that's literally all he's been for the last several years. So. I am I'm very interested to see what Apocalypse's big, you know, influence on Richter is is going to be and where all that is leading to. But aside from from that, because that's, you know, a little tangent of, of my own making, I, I got to ask you how my number one most wanted Marvel legend in 2020 factors in all of this. I have <laughs> to make it all about, about me, you, isn't it? It's all about, about me. You. Uh, but I'm curious, you know, where do you see Apocalypse position for 2021, where do you want to see his story go? Well, I think he's going to be largely absent for 2021. Again, this all boils down to what Hickman is planning. I think, and I don't want to jump ahead in in case you have another question, but I think we're going to really culminate with a huge World War X crossover where Destiny is resurrected and it's her versus Moira. And then Apocalypse is just going to come in. He's going to have that big dramatic entrance. That is my hope. So it depends on how long they're going to be letting these stories marinate, how long Hickman is signed on for with the X-Men. So my preference for 2021 and Apocalypse would be that he is largely absent. And when we finally get to the final chapter of the Hickman era that he comes back in a really big way. Maybe the final chapter of the Hickman era is going to be fall 2021. Who knows? But I would like to, whatever the timeline is, I want Apocalypse to be off the table and I want him to return in a very significant way. And I want, I really want to have that moment when I'm like going through the the pages and I see Apocalypse arrive. I'm like, holy shit, he's back. 
Yeah, um, I, I completely agree. I completely agree. I think that if this story is going to hold any weight, Apocalypse needs to be off the board for me for all of 2021. Like, I don't think we need to check in on, on you know, the Amenthian mutants at, at all next year. Let them maybe a panel appearance here or there, keep them in the background. But uh, I think for it to, to really be impactful, to really have that, that, oh shit, this is a big deal moment. Uh, they got to wait on that apocalypse comeback. They got to. And I, and I trust Hickman enough to, to do that level pacing. Again, it just boils down to how long Hickman's going to be on the books or, or be head of X. But Flink, I'm in suspense. I, listen, I was thinking about this last night. I was like, who is going to be his character of the year? I need to know right now, who is your character of the year? Okay, so... I, number one, my criteria is probably going to be a little looser than yours. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know. I, 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 this was actually a super, super difficult decision for me because, uh, you know, much like in real life 2020, uh, I don't think anyone had just an exceptionally banner year. Um, we had some great character moments. We had some awful character moments. And then of course we had one super long crossover that didn't exactly serve any of its main characters all that well at all. Even if, even if you just sold me on where, you know, Apocalypse ended up, the Tennis Swords take it or leave it to be, to, to be honest. So, you know, I didn't have someone just sitting top of mind waiting to be picked. I really, really had to think about this. And in your jacuzzi, were you it, just like there, like thinking about in your jacuzzi? Oh. My jacuzzi's dead. <laughs> God, no, but so I almost gave it to Kate Pride. I almost gave it to Kate because I love that they're they're openly leaning into an LGBTQIA plus angle after all these years. Um, they're being kind of open with that. And also because uh, her arc this year was was so intertwined with the person that I did select. Um, but in the end, I had to go and give it to my girl. Emma Frost. Okay. Wow. I did not see that coming. I honestly did not see that coming. Well, you know, she's your favorite. I mean, yeah. And I know, I know. And that it it seems like a cop out because I love her and I have a huge bias for her already. But um, I also really had a hard time letting her have it for that reason, because I didn't want to be like, oh, it's my favorite character. She's the character uh, of the year. No, it, it wasn't like that at all. And I actually, before I gave it to her, I had to uh, I wound up, you know, making a pretty good case for her so that I could cover my ass. Because <laughs> I'm coming at you. wanted to troll me Do over, you see the, over the, the, the knives in my eyes right now? I'm like ready to come for you with that. So go, let's hear the case. Let's hear the case. Okay. So obviously the most recent issue of Marauders, uh, I believe it was Marauders number 16, um, has a lot to do with this decision. Uh, you know, I don't know exactly who came up with the revenge plan against Shaw, but it was absolutely brilliant. Um, and I think Emma probably had a lot to do with it since she was the one, uh, sort of walking Shaw through his punishment. But, uh, beyond that, Kate wouldn't even be alive right now if it weren't for Emma. Everyone else had given up on trying to resurrect her, uh, but not Emma. Emma, you know, you know, whether you liked it or not, Emma smashed right through that egg and pulled Kate out and, you know, she's alive because of that. And again, say what you will about that scene and whether Kate's actual resurrection story was a letdown, but Emma was the hero of that moment. She got a, a, a true hero moment there. And it speaks to the evolution of the character, which is really what, what seals the deal and makes her character of the year for me. Because if you think about it, 
you know, characters like Cyclops and Jean have sort of just reverted back to their default personalities and their status quo and no judgment there. You know, I'm appreciating that. Um, but Emma, Emma has truly evolved in the Krakoan era. And, you know, think about it. What's Krakoa's greatest export? Why are all the countries of the world lining up behind the new mutant revolution? And it's the life-saving drugs um, that Krakoa offers. And she is 100% in charge of running both the island's legitimate business dealings and the shadier side now. Yes. And like Krakoa is flush with cash money because of Emma Frost. And like even Storm seems to finally respect Emma and appreciates what she's doing for the mutant society. And just, just I want you to think about that for a second. Emma's two biggest detractors have historically been Kitty Pride and Storm. But they're not only working alongside her, but they fully trust her. They fully appreciate what she brings to the table and they are willing to keep secrets from their beloved Xavier and their longtime teammates in order to continue collaborating successfully with her. Um, so yeah, beyond that, she has a seat on the Quiet Council. She has a direct hand in shaping this new mutant society. And she has really, to me, she's really settled well into that role. And you know, one thing you and I have mentioned over and over again this year uh, it's it's these quiet council scenes steal the entire show in whatever issue they pop up in. And Emma has been like this perfect mix of professional and petty. And and I keep coming back to that scene from the recent issue of Hellions where Emma seconds the, the motion against Kate's fashion sense uh, as sort of an example of the perfect blend between the old Emma and the new. Um, and, you know, all of this, of course, has to do with the writers. Um, I have to give all of them kudos. It isn't just Hickman or Jerry Dugan. It seems like everyone who has had a chance to, to, to write her this year uh, did so thoughtfully. And, uh, you know, Morrison and Whedon sort of put her on this path to become a true leader of mutants. And, you know, for whatever reason, over the last decade, um, that path was sort of yanked out from, from beneath her. Uh, as her relationship with Cyclops crumbled, as if the two should like be intertwined and go hand in hand. That's fucking offensive. Um, so I'm really happy to see her like fall finally evolving into like a true leader, earning the respect of her peers, um, even her doubters, and you know, all that. Plus, we finally got the perfect Marvel Legends Emma figure, and both January Jones and Finola Hughes paid their respects this year. All things considered, kind of a banner year for our white queen. January Jones getting her Betty doll against her Marvel Select Emma doll and then fighting and Emma's yeah. hair falling off <laughs> was, listeners, go to January Jones's Instagram right now and just watch that. I don't, okay, here's the thing. Emma had really great moments. I feel Emma's a character that always has great moments, but I'm going to say we kicked off 2020, all eyes were on giant size X-Men. Yeah. And Emma. And, and he even carried through to the last issue where Storm was like, I don't want to die. And Emma was like, this is ridiculous. We can resurrect, get a new body. And can I make some modifications for you? <laughs> and Jean is like, Emma, how could you? And Storm is like, let her talk. And Emma's like, thank you, darling. I feel underappreciated for my, <laughs> it was gold. And I agree with you. I think, I, I, I will say it was Kitty's narrative, but it was Emma who really, I'm sorry. It was Kate's narrative. Yeah, call her Kate. And it was Emma who carried it. And that scene where she bitch slaps Shaw and says, call her Kate. Yeah. I feel like that just happened like two weeks ago. I feel everyone on Instagram was going crazy. 
The only reason why I wouldn't give Emma that X-Men of the Year award is because she did take a backseat in Ten of Swords, which was Definitely. obviously, and she shouldn't have. I, I think now when I'm, I'm thinking, you know, playing, you know, Monday morning quarterback with Ten of Swords, I would love to have seen Emma with a diamond sword. I would have loved to have seen Jean with a Cerebro sword. But it's because she wasn't necessarily at the forefront of the narrative. Yeah, no. Why she wouldn't get it for I think for House of X, for example, I think again, it's the House of X here. I, I think it's Moira who gets it. However, Emma, oh my God, when she walked she in really shined. with the with the cuckoo, she was wonderful. So I am really surprised you gave it to Emma, not because I don't think Emma's a great character, but just because I don't think she had the spotlight she deserved this year, but everything you mentioned has just like clicked into place for me, which is- Well, and I think that that is, is, is almost kind of the beauty of it. She didn't steal the spotlight. She wasn't a, a character that was front and center this year, but her arc continued. Her character arc is one of the few character arcs that was not put on hold for Ten of Swords this year. And I would I, I would say that Apocalypse is probably the only one to come out of Ten of Swords with a, any big character moment that has really shaken up, you know, his existence go forward. And maybe I'm misremembering. Maybe there's some a big moment that I'm that I'm not remembering oh, correctly I here. Um, not, well, not as big as Apocalypse's moment, but one thing I do want to say about Emma as well is that in Marauders, the artist is like, I change her for every issue. Like, Yes, her. that was going to be another point that I made is that, you know, she has finally stopped just being this busty, beautiful blonde woman. And she, they are letting her be a stylish, classy, fashion forward yeah. character that she really should have been all these years. And she was in Generation X. I mean, hello, her loft dress. <laughs> uh, no. Shout out to no. Mary. No, no. Go listen to that episode with um, our guest, Mary. And we talk about Emma Frost's comfy loft sweater and necklace. But no, but I agree with you. She, I think it's shifting the tide with that character from being something that should be objectified to no she is a very confident character who loves clothes and isn't afraid to show skin that's the difference with yeah me. yeah and i would counter you saying that she she shouldn't be uh that you wouldn't give it to her because she wasn't a big part in ten of swords i would ask you to name someone who was not a sword bearer who you even even had something to say during that because she Cyclops she, and Jean Grey. <laughs> Cyclops and Jean Grey. All right, fine. I didn't even set that up correctly. So I'll let you have that. No, I. But but my my point is is like Polaris. Polaris. <laughs> rock I take slide, it back. Rock slides corpse. I take okay. Fine. You know what? I respectfully gave you yours. <laughs> you set yourself no, but I agree with you, Emma. Emma was just great. Can I ask you a question? Are sure. You sure. Where do you see Emma in 2021? Given that we know in Giant Size X-Men, she told Magneto that she was going to start sending out invitations. And we know in the Reign of X promo, they kind of tease her handing an invitation. Yeah, so you actually bring up a good point. Um, we know from the Reign of X teaser where Emma is holding an invitation that we're finally going to be getting some follow-up to that Giant Size scene with Magneto that you're talking about as well as the scene from Marauders number 7 where Emma is being fitted by Jumbo Carnation 
and tells Callisto that she's going to throw a Hellfire Gala. Uh, Jerry Dugan actually mentioned on Twitter this week that Marauders would be skipping a month so that everyone can go to the gala, which to me implies that that is going to be our big summer crossover and listen. As fatigued with crossovers I am after Ten of Swords this year, I am absolutely here for this. I'm here for Emma, uh, having something cooked up for her, that's a that's a big deal. I'm here for her being the star of the show. Uh, I think the empty council seats are probably going to come into play here, and I think Emma and the gala are going to have, you know, quite a bit to do with that. Uh, Beyond that, though, you know, I really just want to see her continue to shine the way that she has been. You know, she's been uh, free of the character drama that's kept her in in a holding pattern for almost a decade now. Uh, And I really just want to see her continuing down this path of being a true leader among mutants. Um, I feel like that's kind of the role that Claremont always sort of designed her to, to play, uh, with the Hellfire Club, the Massachusetts Academy, and the Hellions. I think that, um, you know, Generation X went a long way towards towards bringing her back to that, but then everything after Generation X has sort of pulled her away from that. And, you know, as much as I, 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 I've loved the trajectory she, she had been on there for a little while, I, I'm certainly happy to see her sort of being pulled back to, to sort of what the original interpretation of the character uh, was. But... With all of that being said, I, I do want to say that that I'd also really like to see more of her brother Christian. Um, you know, as one of the first out gay uh, X characters, he really he really meant a lot to me in her her solo series back in like two thousand three, two thousand four. And I think his struggles with mental health, addiction, um, the effects of of conversion therapy are all like super relevant to the LGBTQIA plus community. Um, and I think they deserve a lot deeper exploration, and and I really hope he gets that uh, either as part of Emma's story or completely separate. So, let me ask you this question: What do you make of her relationship with Cyclops and Jean? Do you think she's joining Wolverine, Jean, and Scott in this mm, the summer's <laughs> habitat on the on the blue area of the moon? What I what- mean, why not? Why not? I don't necessarily know that I I want any sort of big story involving Emma uh, wrapped up in their drama. But if Scott uh, and Jean have an open relationship and Emma is is down in the, the White Palace feeling a little feeling some kind of way about herself and wants to go there, I have I have no problem with it. But I will say I want her to steer clear from Cyclops Jean Grey relationship drama. Yeah, if it's gonna I happen, I don't. I, 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 it can only be a light, fun fling kind of thing. Like yeah, no relational plot for the the readers because you have to hit that note. I, I would have preferred Cyclops and Emma to have stayed together and Jean steering clear of Cyclops. That's originally what I would have loved to have seen for Jean as a Jean fan because I don't want Jean to be defined as Cyclops's girlfriend. I, or I agree with that. I agree. I wanted like in when X-Men Red was being published, I I wanted Jean to to continue to be her own independent character. Of course, we know that that's never what the writers are going to allow her to be as long as both her and Cyclops are alive. But at this point, despite the fact that I was a huge fan of the Cyclops and Emma Frost relationship and at one point I would have like fought a bitch to keep them together, I like them apart. I like where she is now functioning as her own character, as her own, with her own motivations. She's the closest thing she's been to like Gen X Emma in a really long time. And that Emma is she cares about the future of mutants. She cares about mutants and her class. 
Right, right. Do you have anything else to say? No, I don't. I, this was a, a lovely discussion. Your choice really made me think. And I think my choice really uh, surprised you, even though it shouldn't, because it's Emma Frost. No, it's, it's, it, well, you said it, you hinted at it. You said it's going to be, it's going to surprise you, but it's not going to be that far-fetched. And I agree. Listeners, we did ask a few of you, which were your characters of the year? We did get Emma. We did get Betsy, which, you know, I'll give it to Betsy because of Ten of Swords. Betsy was like my third choice. If I had if I had a top three, it would have been Emma, Kate, and Betsy. Because despite the fact that Excalibur has not been my favorite, uh, I love Betsy as Captain Britain. And I love the idea of the Captain Britain core being remade in her image. And that is a huge moment that I don't think Ten of Swords played as huge as they should have. Yeah, I agree with you wholeheartedly when you said that. I First of all, I knew like the Captain Britain Corps had been remade in Betsy's image, but I could not articulate that until you flat out pointed it out. And I agree. And someone else said, I was talking to someone on Twitter and they said, well, they gave Betsy or Saturn 9 gave Betsy Iska the Ambina because she wanted Betsy off the table and much to her surprise then Betsy comes back and I agree that's a narrative that was extremely unsung we also had Kitty on the list and much like I just said I do feel it was Kitty's narrative but Emma kind of stole the show because it's Emma Emma's gonna say call her Kate exactly so it was um that moment bitch slap call her Kate and I now know to call her Kate now. I literally went back and changed Kitty to Kate in my notes for this conversation. I was like, no, no. If Emma taught me anything this year, it's that we call her Kate. And if you remember some of the hard truths we were talking about when we first started this podcast, like unpopular X-Men opinions we may have, or who is our like overrated X-Men, I said, she's always going to be Kitty for me. And no, she is Kate now. And it was because of that scene where Emma bitch slapped Shaw with that. Yeah. We also have Nanny, which I love Nanny. No, no hate on Nanny. Uh, another I'll one. I, you know, I'll, she didn't really do, I'll take it. I no hate on Nanny, but she didn't really do as much as I would have liked. Speaking of a character who did a lot this year, Polaris was another character and I think rightfully deserved. I think her in X Factor, she's really great. And I really liked her at the beginning of Ten of Swords. And then obviously she started doing her, her spewing out the prophecies. The only thing I will say about Polaris is A, I didn't see an overarching story arc for her. The character sounded different from being written from Hickman and Howard to going back to Leah Williams. And it just felt so left field to me that she cared so deeply about Rockslide. It was so out of nowhere. It's great. I'm not, I don't want to, I don't want to hate on an older X character caring about the younger X characters. I think that's a very lovely story, but it would make more sense to me if it was Danny or Emma or even, even Cyclops. I just, for Polaris, it just felt, I've never really seen Polaris as a teacher or as a guide for these younger students. And nor have I ever seen her have a fully fleshed out relationship with Rockslide. So it just felt right. Like- right. She has like virtually no relationship with any of these students. So it is definitely out of nowhere. But something I do want to ask you about her this year. Do you feel as though they have written her younger in yes. X Factor? Absolutely. I'm getting yeah. like like Lorna from the gifted vibes from X Factor Lorna. And it's not, that's not necessarily a a bad thing. 
I just don't want to see her like de-age too much. They already seem to have made her more of a peer of like Kitty Rachel. And I think that that has to be like the threshold. She cannot be de-aged past that for it to make any sense whatsoever. Well, she's one of, you know, she's right after the 05. I, you know, for me, the the big thing, I didn't really pick up on that. And I love that you pointed that out because I don't disagree with you. But for me, it, like I said, it's been jarring to go from Howard and Hickman to Williams writing her because she sounds so radically different. Like they even changed her costume between yeah. the shows. And sometimes she sounds like an heir to Magneto's ideologies. And then the next I'm like, no, she's that daughter living in Williamsburg off of, you know, her, her parents' money. You know, So it's, it's, it's interesting to see where, you know, where they've gone with Polaris. On if the they, if they like decide to like incorporate the fact that she carries herself differently between different writers into sort of her mental health struggles, perhaps she projects herself differently and carries herself differently around different characters. I would love that story for her, but unfortunately I think it's probably just inconsistent writing. I, I love that theory. And I literally am going to use that going forward to, for my head canon to rationalize why she's so different. But yeah, I think it's just, writing styles that have changed between issues. We have two more characters that people submitted and we asked a few of you. Uh, we got Storm as well. Well, you know you're not gonna get any objection from me after that fabulous uh, Vida Ayala issue. They wrote that issue so well. Storm and Shuri sitting down and having that conversation was just so powerful. It's when we knew we loved Vida and they are such a wonderful writer. For Storm, I'm just gonna say, she has had a big year because even in Ten of Swords, after that scene that Vita wrote, Storm was really highlighted in her fight with death, which I thought was great. And that dance, even though it was kind of like left field, like whatever, if we have to be here, at least it's Storm doing something very meaningful and symbolic. And then also Giant Size X-Men was all about her. And that was the first question I had, which is like, why does Storm care so much about her body when she can just resurrect? And no, it's it's her body. Yeah. She doesn't want to lose it. And she doesn't no. want to go through the process of dying, even if she can resurrect. And that just fully fleshed her out. I loved it. I thought Storm had great character moments. Didn't really, she, I love her. She didn't steal the spotlight for me though, sadly. And and, and points off for the, the Logan flirtation for me. Oh yeah, big time. I just, he's, I'm sorry, he's beneath her. Storm. He's a man whore and she's a goddess. And again, I don't think she would do that to Jean. But I get it. I get the scene. They were drunk. They were being manipulated by Saturday Night. But anyways, so our final character, which I'm going to have a lot to say. I'm so sorry. Cypher, Doug Ramsey. I Take agree. I love Doug Ramsey. This is a character that I fell in love with when he came back in Necrotia, when Zeb Wells wrote him. I thought his power set went from being extremely you know, irrelevant to being extremely essential when he was invading uh, Utopia and he could read the architecture and find out where he needed to go. I thought that was so brilliant. It's, an, it's a power set that hasn't necessarily been translated well in the Hickman era. I thought it was great how he kind of managed Krakoa. But, you know, when I think of Doug this year, I think there was so much potential with what was going on with him, Warlock and Krakoa. Why was he keeping Warlock a secret? They even mentioned in a data page that this was a poorly kept secret. But we had that beat 
with uh, Nightcrawler and Cyclops at issue of X-Men when Cyclops looks at Doug, sees Warlock, blinks, and then Warlock is gone. And none of us kind of understood what happened there because we just all assumed they could see Doug's arm. So I wish before they would have moved him to Bay that they would have let that story come to fruition a little bit. Maybe it will. Him and his original Bay, Warlock? His original Bay, maybe it will, but I don't have faith it would because Warlock was there for, for all of Ten of Swords as Warpath Dylan tweeted. He was there for all of Ten of Swords. Did not say or do anything. Nothing. Not a thing. So those are my feels on Doug. I cannot give it to Doug this year simply because I feel like he has regressed as a character from the badass Nimrod defeating uh, Cypher in Second Coming to, to what we have now. And I feel like that, you know, maybe they overplayed him then and that was the out of character moment, but I don't really think it's fair to put that genie back in the bottle once you've let it out. Do you have anything else? No, no, I think that's it. Look at that. We did actually make this a mini-sode. Yes! Well, listeners, it has been a phenomenal year. Of sorts. Of sorts. 2020 has been rough, but in terms of the podcast, I really want to thank Flink. He really... I thought you brought it. I tell this to everyone. You're my favorite part of this podcast. And I mean, I literally would not, could not do this without you. I mean, listeners, you don't, I don't, I don't think we've ever said this, but it was actually Dayspring that, that, that came to me and was like, we should really take our, our daily texts offline and, and start sharing this with everybody. I really didn't think it was, it was gonna, you know, go anywhere i thought it was just gonna be two fanboys with a with microphones yelling at each other rather than texting at each other but uh the community you guys have really embraced us i'm really proud really happy to be a a part of this broader uh x-men community um and i'm really looking forward to uh getting to know all of you a little bit better in 2021 and uh hopefully we can pull a few surprises out of the hat for you and uh have a few treats in store for you along the way we have some pretty big ideas planned and thank you guys for always engaging with us. Have a safe and wonderful new year's. Have a wonderful new year's and we will see you in 2021. As always, I'm the uncanny day spring and I am the adjective list flinkman and we will see you in 2021. Peace out.